production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we're devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. Today is Friday, August 4th. I'm Dan Malthrop, CEO of the City Club, and we are live outdoors in the U.S. Bank Plaza at Playhouse Square. This, uh, today, is the first forum in our four-part series of free Friday forums this August, ahead of our move to Playhouse Square, to, to our new Playhouse Square headquarters in September. If you would like to learn more about that move, we are delighted to share it with you. You can find out more at cityclub.org. But in the meantime, if you've ever wanted to come to a Friday forum for free, these next three Fridays and today are your opportunity to do so. Today we're talking about theater specifically the Border Light Festival, which began last night. Back in 2015, Dale Heinen and Jeff Pence sought to, sought to create something that didn't exist. They saw a need for an international theater festival. They founded Border Light, a nonprofit with a mission to present innovative theater that inspires, builds cross-cultural understanding, and celebrates the diversity of human experience. And on the way to that mission, Borderlight also seeks to make theater accessible while giving exposure to emerging artists of every background. And full disclosure, I'm basically a human conflict of interest. Uh, I, I serve on the Borderlight board. I was the board president, and uh, so I'm I'm not a disinterested moderator today at all. So the festival began as an international theater festival, and this year marks Borderlight's first fringe-only festival. The idea of a fringe festival goes back to Scotland, 1948, where theatrical works were presented off of the main stage, on small stages, on the fringes of the main theater festival in Edinburgh. Today, fringe festivals are launch pads for emerging work and the independent artists who create that work. And this year's festival showcases more than 130 performances from 37 unique local and national acts. And today, we will learn a little bit more about some of them. Playhouse Square is a fitting location for us, not only for the Borderlight Festival, but because it's also, of course, our new home for the City Club. Joining me on stage are, in uh, if you're if you're watching on our live stream here, on uh, it'll be to my left, to your right. First, we have Robin Van Leer. She is the playwright and performer of Welcome to My House, but you may also know Robin from some of her other hits, including Parade the Circle. Please give her a round of applause. Next to her is Holly Holsinger. She's chair of theater and dance department at Cleveland State University. She's going to tell us a little bit more about her piece in a little bit. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Lucretia Stenson is with us as well. She's an aerialist performing in Ferry in the Lake. And I've lost, and there's, and PJ O'Neill, he's playwright and performer of Code Red, a drag manifesto. 
If you are joining us on the live stream or over the air on WKSU, you can text your questions to 330-541-5794. The number again is 330-541-5794, and we'll work them into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming this wonderful panel, Holly Holsinger, PJ O'Neill, Lucretia Stenson, and Robin Van Leer. So um, all of you performed last night, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Excellent. Um, PJ, I want to start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about Code Red. OK. Uh, Code Red is a show within a show. Uh, so it's a show about a drag queen putting on a one-woman show about how her life's journey is similar to a short story written by Willa Cather. Um, so it's, um, it's like personal, and then there's cabaret elements in it, so there's live singing in it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what Code Red is. I, I, we're gonna go through everybody real quick, and then I wanna, there's a lot I wanna come back to on, on each of you. Lucretia, could you tell us a little bit about Fairy in the Lake and your work as an aerialist in that performance? Sure, so I am doing a short opera performed by me, but written by Obadiah Jones Darrell. And the fairy in the lake is a story about a slave boy who once saw a fairy in the lake. He grew up, nobody kind of believed him. Somebody tried to punish him for it. We take you through that journey. He grows up and discovers that the fairy was real and the fairy was actually the goddess Oshun. And I get to display that in my aerial arts for you guys. While you sing. <laughs> While Liz Huff sings. Okay, okay, I was gonna say. And Holly Holsinger, your piece focuses on uh, the life of Marie Curie. Correct. Um, so my performance is uh, Marie Curie meets Radium Girl in the afterlife and um, what they have to say to each other. Say more, explain Radium Girl. Um, so the Radium Girls uh, in the 1920s uh, in New Jersey and Illinois, um, they worked uh, to paint watch dial numbers with radioactive paint, and they would put uh, the, the paintbrush in their mouths in order to get a fine tip point, um, and that radio, radi radium paint um, did terrible things to them, and they died horrible, horrible deaths. Um, of course, there's a corporate greed um, perspective to the Radium Girls story um, where they told them it was good for them and they um, hid the fact um, of what was making them ill. That's in a nutshell. It's a, it's a horrifying nutshell, but we thank you for explaining. Uh, hence the Marie Curie horror story. And uh, Robin Van Leer, um, you have brought a really large prop with you and and if you, for our audience on the radio as well, I should note too that you're wearing what appears to be a bird skull, a large, a large bird skull on your yeah, head. Yeah, and it's got lights on it too. Yeah, lights yeah. as well. Okay. Talk about your piece. Okay, so my piece is Welcome to My House. And I, uh, years ago, I made a series of five houses high in the air on wheels. 
And my dream was always to be able to roll the house along and stop and interact with people and tell them stories based on the props that the house was carrying or that I was carrying. And it was meant to be an exchange, and that's what this is. It's an exchange with people that come and are brave enough to be part of the interaction. I have favors, so if you come, you get a favor, and if you get a favor, you can ask me a question. What's to lose? And so if you were to, you have a performance, you, last night you, you were in character. Yes. And you're not in character now as far as I can tell. Well, you know, no. 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 Um, and you are, <laughs> the character, is it the same character every time? No, it's different. No, and nobody except the people here will know what this character was. So, see, see, I really am a little bit in character. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, okay. So you are somewhat in character. Yeah. Okay. Last night I was the um, Italian um, doctor character from Venetian Carnival. Um, this afternoon I'm going to be sort of a salt and bonk, or this evening at 7, yeah. Why? Um, it just makes it more interesting to me. If I'm the same character every time, then I'm bringing the same point of view to the interaction, to the engagement. And if I'm carrying my house around, I want to bring a new me each time I go. Robin, you are um, sort of a polymath when it comes to the arts. Yeah. Uh, a sculptor, a, uh, a, a, an actor, a, a writer as well, um, an improvisational artist, um, and an, an inspirer of so many others in your work at Parade the Circle. Um, what does it mean to, to you to be doing this work, this particular piece, at Borderlight this weekend? It's scary as hell. Can Why? I say that on the air? Yeah. Because I've actually never done a one-person show before. That's really? just been me. That's just been me interacting. I've always surrounded myself with other people and people to help me tell my tale. And this time it's just me. And I've been very nervous about it ever since whenever they said, yes, come. And I've been thinking about it ever since they said, come. And it's been growing for months. And it's very exciting. You know, last night, I was, um, I w was the opening night of the festival. I mm -hmm. saw a couple of pieces. Or, uh, and one of the things that I saw was the stand-up comedy that's mm -hmm. happening at the Hermit Club, sort of at the, uh, the, the, the Chester, the north end of, right. of Playhouse Square. I'm, supposed to, I'm, I, I'm not supposed to say the back of Playhouse no, Square. No. no, no, no. But it sort of does feel backstage over there the north end of Playhouse Square. I got the sense that a lot of those performers do it because it scares them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I wonder how true that is for, for all of you. I mean, Robin, you just, you just said it. PJ, I, I have to feel certain that performing in drag in a show that you've written yourself in Ohio in 2023 brings some fear. Yes, um, and you know, the show was intentional. Um, you know, I was, I, a lot of my work is political um, in hindsight. Um, you know, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised, but yes. Um, but I now live in New York, so I have a different perspective on life. Um, so it's interesting that like coming from a place that's so diverse and liberal, coming back home and then, you know, witnessing a lot of changes and a lot of, you know, laws being, or laws trying to be passed. It's, so it's, I, I love that this is happening now because it's basically sort of a protest to, you know, the things that are happening that I just don't agree with. 
Lucretia Stenson, uh, in Fairy in the Lake, you perform uh, from uh, a, I'm not really sure what you call what I'm looking at right now, an, an aerial setup. What is it? It, it has a, it's not, what is it called? It's an aerial rig. An aerial I rig. on the apparatus called an aerial hammock. And to me, that looks scary, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think it is to you. No, I've gotten used to it. Um, it's a little scary with the initial fear of, okay, I'm performing this piece in front of people versus the safety of the studio where I get to practice and everybody's doing this crazy stuff. But it's just, it's more of a freeing feeling once I get started because in all honesty, and I, I do appreciate everyone here, but I can't see you when I'm spinning up there. And that's what makes it so good. Like, I'm terrified of what you guys may think. However, I can't even see you. And you think what I'm doing is beautiful, and that makes me happy. I want to mention uh, right now for our listening audience that you're, you're with the City Club of Cleveland. We're live at Playhouse Square right now. We're talking with artists who are performing at Borderlight, the Fringe Theater Festival this year. Many years, it's been an international theater festival. This is the first Fringe-only festival. Next year will be an international and fringe. You can find out more at borderlightcle.org. And there are tickets available for all sorts of things that you never knew you needed in your life. Um, <laughs> Holly Holsinger, um, you and I, the other day, as we were thinking about the conversation we we're going to have today, um, talked a little bit about the importance of a festival like this providing a platform and an inspiration to you and others. Can you? Talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, well, I'll start with last year. Um, being down here in Playhouse Square with so many great artists and getting to witness their work and feeling the community um, was super great. And so when I had the opportunity to partner with um, Borderlight and CSU, um, it just uh, seemed like a great opportunity. Um, it was also an opportunity for me to bring back a piece that I'd been working on pre-pandemic. And I, I'm assuming for most of us, especially most of um, us who are performers, things kind of stopped for us. Um, and it was hard <laughs> to get going again. So I'd been working on this piece. Um, and so it just gave me a really great reason to do it. Um, and involve students and alums um, in the process. Uh, so I'm really grateful for that, and uh, I'm feeling all that great energy down here again um, all around me. So thank Holly, you. how does it feel for your students, for the Cleveland State University students in the Department of Theater to be involved? I, they're having such a great time. Um, and I think last night they were just kind of uh, stunned. <laughs> and then, like, they've never experienced anything like this. Um, they're usually off in the summer, so they had a good excuse to come down here and do what they love to do. Um, so for them to get to meet so many great artists and see so many really unique performances, um, is so rich for them. Um, so they're super grateful. Um, Holly, I'd like to just dig in a little bit on your piece about um, the, the horror show. Can you, can you just unpack it a little bit and, and help us understand kind of the, the origins of this story and, and what you're trying to communicate? 
Sure. Um, I've been a fan of Marie Curie for a long time as a young woman. Um, I read a lot about her and I think as women we're always looking for those people who broke through barriers and she was definitely one of those people. Um, my favorite book is her biography by her daughter Eve Curie. I recommend that. But when I came across uh, the story of the Radium Girls, I realized that Marie Curie's life actually overlapped um, with the horrors that were happening with this radium paint. She also died of radium poisoning um, and never would acknowledge the dangers of radium. And um, I could never find anything that said that she knew anything that was happening about um, the radium girls in the United States. So I just, um, I realized when she died that the radium girls were also still dying and that it was very possible that they would find themselves um, in some kind of in-between place in the afterlife. Um, that's what started my inquiry. And where does it go? Well, you know, it's a story of, uh, really about two women who just want to be acknowledged um, and just want to live their lives and have the right to do so. Um, so they keep asking, do you know who I am? Um, and that's sometimes a question I ask myself. Uh, and you brought up, Dan, about the Barbie movie and the Oppenheimer movie. And, and this is kind of where Barbie and Oppenheimer meet in that um, there's dangers and her creation is a kind of monster, actually. Um, but at the same time, there are the voices of these women who are just striving to have agency over their lives um, and to do their work and follow their dreams and their passions and the things that interrupted them. Um, and I haven't seen Barbie yet, but I think about America Ferreira's monologue that now is like all over social media about how hard it is to be a woman. And it just strikes me that, oh wow, it's still hard to be a woman. <laughs> 1900s, it was hard. 2000s, it's still hard. Right. Um, it, again, if you're just joining us on the radio, you're with the City Club of Cleveland. We're live at uh, Playhouse Square at US Bank Plaza. Um, we're hearing from Holly Holsinger, whose uh, who's piece about Marie Curie and the Radium Girls is, uh, is going to be performed. There's a bit of wind here right now, by the way, so I apologize for that if you're hearing that. Um, and I want to mention, too, that, um, that Holly's piece is you can see tonight at 5 p.m. in the Middle building around the corner here, Playhouse Square. PJ's piece, um, Code Red, is 9.15 tonight at the Kennedy Theater. Robin Van Leer's piece, uh, Welcome to My House, is um, tonight at 7 p.m. here on U.S. Bank Plaza. You'll, she's the one pushing a house around the plaza. And Lucretia's piece, Ferry in the Lake, is 5.30 tonight here at U.S. Bank Plaza as well. Um, this is sort of a philosophical question, Robin, that you and I were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, but the... What, what is art? Like, what is this? This, like, you know, this this impulse to um, put a a bird skull, a 
on your head to to inhabit a you know a character from the the Venetian carnival to push a, a metal frame you know suggestion of a house around the plaza what is this what is art yeah that's a good question I think what is art can be answered two ways um, there's a Sanskrit word called rasa and rasa is the um, energy that goes from a work of art to the person viewing it and vice versa from the per person viewing a work of art to the work of art. And, and I think that art is like that. It goes both ways. It's like, if I think it's art, well, yeah, it's art. But it's also art if somebody else thinks it's art. And they don't have to, to match. I mean, hopefully when you make art, you find somebody that also thinks it's art. But my favorite art, really, of all time is the art that you see when you don't expect to see art. And when it just like happens, and it could be intentional on the part of what you're, you're seeing, but maybe it's not intentional. I mean, on the tennis court two days ago, I found a single cicada wing, and then my daughter found the other one. And I've got them now stuck into my phone case because they're incredible. If you've ever held a cicada wing, it's so strong. It's amazing. It feels like metal. And, and it was just seeing it there, like this perfect wing, that was like a moment of incredible art and the rasa was going back and forth. But, you know, you, everybody finds art different places. And it can be that you find art most in a gallery or it could be listening to a song or, or watching a sunset. I mean, art is, art is like a bird or like a memory. You don't want to trap it with a specific meaning particular meaning. You want to let it be free and you want to let it have, like if you go to see all four of our shows, I guarantee they're going to be completely different. But that rasa can happen every time. And, and, it's, and you don't want to say, oh, that's my kind of art. Because as soon as you say that's my kind of art, then you cut yourself off from all those other opportunities. So um, yeah, okay, there was my answer. That's great. That's great. <laughs> good answer. I, I, good answer. <laughs> In the last few years, I've, my teenage children have argued with me about what art is and why some whatever it is that we've seen in a museum isn't really art, and you know, so I'm gonna play that for them. Thank you very much for <laughs> making making the case, Lucretia. You were nodding quite a lot while Robin was talking. Yeah, I was nodding in a lot of agreement there, because at one point in time I was like, art is what you see at the art museum. That is art. Whatever is painted, that's art. Um, what expanded my mindset to art was Basquiat himself, just seeing like, oh, he painted on doors. It wasn't just a canvas, it was more to it. And that kind of was like, okay, I can expand a little more. And then I started getting curious, joined the circus later in life, joined Cricker River Circus when I turned 29. And I never thought that you can blend circus with art until now, but I wouldn't have been able to even accept that possibility without being open and accepting to every possibility of art and saying, okay, at least try it once to see it versus giving way to doubt, like, oh, I can't do that or I could never do that because that's not a good way of thinking because more than likely if you tell yourself that, then it's true. So gave myself a shot and I've been swinging since 29. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to pause for a moment and uh, to appreciate the fact that at age 29 you ran away and joined the circus. Yes. <laughs> 
What it was the best choice that? of my life. Um, before that, I was just a nerd. <laughs> and the best way to say I worked in technology field, still work in technology, but um, I had just lost like a lot of weight. And I was getting bored. I really hate cardio, the standard, going to the gym. It just bothers me. Like, there's nothing fun there. You know what I mean? It's not fun to lift 100 pounds or anything like that. That's just not fun to me. So I said, I have to find a fun way to keep this weight off because I'm not going to get fat again. <laughs> so I found the circus. Um, I actually started training at B Studios, then worked my way up to Sky Aerial, where now I teach beginners classes, and then joined the circus, did a winter play with Holly, actually, How the Circus Stole Christmas with Cricket River Circus. And that's how I met Obadiah, who wrote The Fairy in the Lake, and here we are. Wow. Uh, that's a great story. And um, for our listeners as well, and, and those on the live stream, I want to point out that there's another circus at the, um, at the festival called Whizbang. And there's a, I wouldn't exactly call it a big top, sort of a little top, but it's a big performance. And you can find out more about that as well at borderlightcle.org. PJ, can you talk about the art of drag a little bit? I think that um, particularly in a, in a place like Ohio and particularly on a stage like this one with the City Club where we're committed to freedom of expression, um, we, should, we should highlight just what drag is and why it matters and why it's actually protected speech. Absolutely. Um, drag, first of all, drag is nothing new. Um, drag has been done since the beginning of theater. Uh, if you go back to Greek theater, um, actually the word drag derives from that. Um, so it's like literally drag is dress resembling a girl. And that's because nope. women were not allowed to perform in theater back then. Men were the only ones, so they would dress up men to play the women parts. So um, drag has been something, it's nothing new, so it's crazy when you see stuff in the news about like, ah, uh, like up in arms, I'm like, it's nothing new. But um, I think everyone, you know, I hate to say this, but like everyone knows who RuPaul is, right? Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race is a huge phenomenon, um, extremely successful. Uh, but one thing RuPaul says is that we're all born naked and the rest is drag. And I think that's very true. Um, we all put on some form of armor or anything to get through your day. The outfit you put on, the makeup you put on, the shoes you put on, how you present yourself in a professional field, outside a professional field, it's all drag. Yes, mine is more extreme, <laughs> um, but you know, it, I think drag is something that's so therapeutic for a lot of us, especially as a queer person. Um, and you know, drag has will and has always been in our entertainment sphere and it's not going anywhere. So buckle up because we're not going down with a fight. Could, could you say a little more about the, the therapeutic nature? Of, perform, of drag performance? Yeah, so actually my show is a lot about that. Uh, it's a storytelling show um, about how drag was sort of like a therapy for the character that I'm playing. Um, you know, some people have an idea of who they are, but they're forced into a box. You know, it could be anything. It could be because of society pressures, um, your parents, anything. But drag allows you to take what you, what you wish you could do 
but on a more elevated and extreme level. Um, I think everyone has some form of persona inside of them that's not out. Um, and drag allows that. Now, it, I will say drag is um, its hard work. <laughs> um, the reason why I'm not in drag today because drag and heat does not mix. Um, I will be melting up here. Um, it's uncomfortable, um, It's, but it's great. It's, it's great. I think everyone should try some form of it at one point of their life. Um, how much of a transformation would will I see when I come see Code Red? Um, well, it takes me about an hour and a half to get ready. Um, I, I would say I'm compl I, I wear six inch heels. I'm wearing a corset. I'm wearing a wig. I'm wearing like 20 pounds of makeup. Um, you won't see this uh, in Code Red. When, and the PJ, the the character in Code Red, is that a character that, or a persona that you perform regularly and this is a, a new role for her in Code Red or is, or is, this, is she a completely different persona or a different character? Um, she's a completely different character. I also do drag outside the show um, in New York, but um, this character is completely different. I did take my life in drag in New York to help write this show because I knew firsthand how drag worked, um, especially in the club scene, in the bar scene. Um, and that's what the setting of the show is. It's like I'm in a bar performing in front of a crowd. Um, so I took that life reference to make the show, but it's a completely different character, um, more witty than I will ever be in a club. <laughs> you know, I'm not lip syncing, which most people think drag is. It's just lip syncing. I'm actually singing live. You don't really see that often in drag shows. Um, so yeah, completely different. Outstanding. I think I'm supposed to reply, yes, queen, but. <laughs> sure. Okay, great. This, this, is a, this is a safe space. Okay. Um, well, we are going to move to the audience Q&A right now. And I will remind you that you, you just heard from, uh, from drag performer PJ O'Neill, whose uh, who's show Code Red you can see tonight, 9.15, at Kennedy's Theater at Playhouse Square. Uh, Lucretia Stenson is performing as part of Ferry in the Lake, which is uh, happening at 5.30 this evening, or this afternoon, rather, here on US Bank Plaza at Playhouse Square. And uh, Holly Holsinger's piece, which I should have written down the whole piece, it's the Marie Curie Horror, sh horror Show? Horror Story. Horror Story. Horror Story, I was close. So close. Um, is uh, this afternoon, 5 p.m. in the Middle Building. Robin Van Leer performing at 7 p.m. here on the Plaza as well. Welcome to my house. If you're thinking, these are all happening at almost the same time, I can't see all of them, that is, in fact, the point of a festival like this, that you will not get to see everything, and, um, but you, you will be amazed by everything that you see. Um, as I said, we're going to start the audience q and I'm Dan Malthrop with the City Club, and uh, we welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, those of you joining us via our live stream at cityclub.org or our live radio broadcast on 89.7 WKSU, Ideastream Public Media. If you want to text your question, you can text it to 330-541-5794. The number again is 330-541-5794. And I'll just take this opportunity to mention once more that if you want more information about Borderlight, 
the Fringe Festival, the 2023 Fringe Theater Festival. You can find more information at borderlightcle.org. We have our first question. Go ahead, sir. I want to follow up on the most recent discussion on the political legal environment. Right now, there is a bill that's been co-sponsored by two-thirds of the Republicans in the Ohio House, House Bill 245, that would make any performance by a person in an outfit other than the gender they were born in, whatever that means, um, other than in a sex cabaret, illegal. It could be, uh, be a felony. It would apply not only to a Code Red production, but Robin, when you were a Venetian doctor, it would apply to you. And Ken, it would make you a felon because you're on a board that's supporting this sort of performance. Aiding I'm wondering, how is this going to affect you as performers and as management of production companies deciding what you're going to allow to perform, what characters you're going to perform, how you're going to live within this sort of law? We're going to break the law. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're, are, you, are you kidding? I don't think you were kidding. No comment. <laughs> Holly. Holly Holsinger, who, and you can put on your CSU professor of theater hat if you'd like. Um, sure. Um, I'm also going to bring up SB 83, uh, which is actually no longer being considered at this time. Um, this is the way uh, rights are being taken away um, of our citizens. And uh, first off, please vote on issue one. Vote no. Um, because it's, it's really taking away our, our voices. Um, and as a professor who is in danger of losing the right to teach what I want to teach and um, do the work that I want to do um, under the uh, university's umbrella, uh, it's terrifying. And I think I can no longer be a professor <laughs> under those circumstances and be told that I can't include um, anything about racism <laughs> um, in my curriculum. So it's a scary time, for sure. Um, so I, I know as a theater artist, we're always going to find a place. Uh, we'll just do it in that corner, <laughs> or we'll find some wings. Um, so it won't stop us, but it will make things uh, way more complicated, absolutely. PJ O'Neill. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, oh, we'll make it happen. Um, you know, George C. Wolfe, a great playwright, said that as an artist, you always perform your art, even when no one's paying attention or when there's anything trying to be against it. Um, it is scary right now. I'm extremely lucky and, you know, very um, lucky, like I said, to be in New York where, you know, things are a little bit more liberal, but you know, I'm from here. So to see this happening, it, it just makes me very upset. Um, and I don't think it's gonna pass for, cause one thing about queer people and especially artists, we, we are not diplomatic. We will raise hell when we need to. And I feel like that's what we're gonna have to do. <laughs> Robin, did you have anything to add to that? I just noticed that there was a, a clause there that you could perform if it was in a, a sex cabaret. Right. So I think I could make a little sign that said sex cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> just, pull, just roll it around. Just with roll you. it around. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll simply say, 
you know, from my point of view, as an individual volunteer board member at Borderlight, and also as the executive of, of an organization that's devoted to celebrating freedom of speech, I, I actually find it very hard to imagine a future in which a law like that is passed and then actually manages test, testing in the courts. Um, because this is, there, this is a, a form of free speech. And, um, and in as much as uh, paying for, you know, offering campaign contributions is a form of protected speech, I have to imagine that my right uh, to wear a dress if I so cho chose, or PJ's right to do so, or your right to wear, to, to wear a suit, uh, a man's suit, is protected. It has to be. It, it, yeah, so anyway, that's my point of view. Another question. Thank you for being here today. Um, poor William Shakespeare, we would never know about him if we didn't have men performing as women all those years ago. My question has to do from the legal standpoint, since obviously this is gonna end up in the courts and lawsuits, is there any fund that's been set up to collect monies so that when it does get to the courts, you've got kind of a leg up to help protect you. Thank you. I believe the ACLU is one of the biggest corporations, um, I mean corporations, I'm sorry, organizations that is fighting this. Also the Human Rights Campaign. Um, there are also local um, organizations, um, queer organizations that are raising money to help fight this, to get people to the courthouses, to the state houses. But ACLU is a huge one. Excellent, do we have another question? The next question we have was texted in. What is the difference between performance art and theater? <laughs> yes, Robin, go ahead. Um, I'm gonna answer that just because um, when I went to graduate school um, at UC Santa Barbara, um, I think I was the first person to graduate with an MFA in this country in performance art. Really? So um, that shows you how old I am. Um, but my professor, um, who I worked with, who was um, Graham Dunn from, um, from England, was there as a visiting professor, and we started up that program at um, UC Santa Barbara, and we started it in conjunction with the visual arts department and the theater department. But what was purported, and I believe most performance artists will probably agree with this, is performance art, or at least this is where we started, performance art is art performed in a theatrical manner or setting done from the point of view of a visual artist. So it started with the visual artists moving into performance and that fact was what gave the name performance art. And so now I'm not going to say that that's always that performance art is always done by a visual artist or from that point of view, but that's where it started from and that's why the term was coined in a, a 1950s or 60s Caprow, Alan Caprow was one of the first people that um, was using that term. Holly Holsinger, we need a professor here. Well, I would just say um, that the line between performance art and what is theater is getting really muddy. And I think um, performance is best when the lines are muddy, <laughs> when all possibilities are on the table. Um, and I like to create that way myself. Right. That's his art. 
Yeah, exactly. I think, I think the muddiness of lines and the feeling that you don't have to conform to a specific way. I mean, I consider myself a performance artist, but also a sculptor and a designer. And, but when I perform, I don't think, oh, how am I approaching this as from a visual artist's point of view? I just have things I want to do. And I think that's, that aspect is probably the same for all of us. So, the, I, I think the question also, though, I mean, for a lot, of, a lot of folks may not even understand that there was this sort of genre of performance art in the 70s and 80s that, that really... And the 60s. And the 60s. That really stood out as very, very different from yeah. theater that people understood. When you received your MFA, the first MFA in the country in performance art, allegedly. That's, you know, allegedly. That's a great story. We're going to go with it. Um, but when you, what were you doing? What was the, what was the per art you were performing? Um, I was creating really large works outside in the environment um, that used people that were artists and people that were performers and people that weren't neither artists or performers. And um, I don't know, my favorite one had everybody who arrived at the piece got separated from the people that they came with. And they, there were, it was like a loop. And you could go one way or you could go the other. And you ended up at two different seating areas for the same stage, which was in the middle of a lake. And you didn't know what the whole performance was about until you went home and talked to the person you'd come with who didn't see it, the same performance you saw. So that, to me, was like the way I was sort of tweaking the experience of, of going to a performance. And what happened on the stage in the middle of the lake? Oh, the middle of the lake was kind of a kabuki piece that was, again, there's drag and stuff going on, um, it, that was people in canoes and people on this floating raft. And um, the whole piece was called Duck Blinds and Tea Ceremonies. And it was my graduate thesis. It sounds wild. It was pretty wild. Yeah. And my father-in-law set fire to a field nearby by sh shooting a shotgun not high enough in the air, and it set the field on fire. So. And that was part of the art? Well, we didn't expect it, but it made me very close to the fire department. <laughs> i also like to add just a little bit, yeah. sorry, um, that you know, a lot of performance art you probably can attest to is um, it's very immersive. And theater is taking notes, because if you think about a lot of the new productions happening, it's become extremely immersive. Um, and I think they're realizing that this art form of performance art is becoming not only marketable in a money-making machine, but also it's creating an experience, not just seeing you know, a stage um, and people performing on it. Uh, and I think that a lot of theater can learn from performance art artists as well. Excellent. Our next question, please. It's great that we have the Fringe Festival here in Cleveland. Um, and Dan, maybe you're the best one to answer this question. Oh, dear, I um, hope not. <laughs> how are the artists selected or attracted to our Fringe Festival? I am so glad you asked that question, Jan. And I'm going to invite Josie Jones, who is in charge of the Fringe Festival, to step up to the microphone to answer that question. I'm really glad. Please give Josie a round of applause. She's worked very, very hard on this festival. Hi, I was hoping not to talk at all. 
Um, hi again, my name is Josie Jones. I am the associate producer for the Border Light Theater Festival here in Cleveland. Um, if you are interested in being a part of the festival, the application for the festival opens nationally uh, in the fall. I don't have an official date yet, so anyone can apply. Um, and we read through all of those applications um, with a panel of individuals who are a part of the Cleveland infrastructure to pick what comes to the festival. Uh, and then we pair them with the amount of spaces that we have for that year's festival um, and according to like their technical needs and then they become a part of the festival. Josie, while you're at the microphone, I'm going to ask you a couple of other quick questions. <laughs> of um, course. How many performers, how many different stages, mm. how many different performances? So this year's Borderlight Festival uh, has over 130 performances, uh, over six stages, uh, six venues, 15 stages, excuse me. Um, there are over 180 artists here um, from all of the individual shows. Um, that's the tech teams, that's the artist directors, et cetera. And they're from all over the United States. All over. We got some people from West Virginia here, uh, Chicago, um, every, everywhere. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Josie Jones, curator Thanks. of the Fringe Festival. Next question. So we have another text question. What was the first theater performance you saw? What impact did it have? And how can we help more kids fall in love with theater? Oh. Who wants to take it? My grandmother took me to see a gypsy um, in Port Portland, Oregon when I was 12 years old. Um, I love to dress up and act out stories and that was my, my first experience that, uh, that actually acknowledged that, wow, this is a real thing, I could actually do this. I didn't know that you can't really make money at it, but, <laughs> I, I, but I could have a career. The first one I saw, my mom took me to a production of The Nutcracker by the, um, at the Boston Children's Museum. And it was an awesome production because everybody had big paper mache heads. And um, there were lots of mice and they were running around and sometimes those big heads would fall off. And it was very exciting. And so here I am. In a paper mache head. In a paper mache head. Lucretia. Well, my first introduction to theater was on a field trip to see Charlotte's Web. And that brought it to life for me as a kid because, of course, we read the books in class and it just seemed really boring. But even if I love the storyline, it seemed stale. But to see it brought to life in theater form was like, oh, this is really nice. I enjoyed that. And then growing up and then actually performing in theater, it was like, oh, so everybody is not just acting this out. They're having fun, too. And as a kid, pretty much a grown kid now. That was just really exciting. So I just say, just keep introducing children to more familiar things. Like if they like something and they say, hey, I want to go see it, take them. You never know where that can go. PJ. I'll say the first production was West Side Story. And I fell in love. And I was like, look at Anita performing America. That's what I want to do. Um, but um, I would say like the first like straight play was Angels in America and that changed my life completely. Tony Kushner's work. Mind blowing. Um, what, what was it about that? Well, it was the first 
production that had queer characters as the main characters. Um, and one of the characters specifically, Belize, which was this queer black character, which you may think is like a, just a supporting role, but literally as the play goes on, he's like the moral compass. And I was like, oh, I see myself in Belize. And I feel like when, when you see yourself in a production on stage, that's when you connect. And that's when things change for you. And that's why it's really so important that we tell everybody's story. And there was a question about how do we support you all? Um, it's the small arts organizations that are, uh, are supporting people like us um, and, and experimental work are going into schools. Know that there's a lot of censorship um, in what high schools uh, can perform right now. It's, it's really shocking. So it's places like Cleveland Public Theater, whose STEP program will perform today, I believe, also in the Meadow building. Um, and others that are actually going out and reaching young people um, support arts programming in schools. Um, I can't tell you how many of my students are just theater geek kids who couldn't do what they love for like two years and they arrive at CSU and they are hungry and excited. Um, so that's what you can do. And because um, I've also seen a lot of theater, it was the first one was 42nd Street. Um, but, um, but I would say if you wanted to introduce a young person to the theater and inspire them, probably one of the most amazing things you can take them to see are the Dazzle Awards here at Playhouse Square, um, which are the award, it's like the Tonys for high school productions. And um, the quality of the performers are and the performances that they put on are just so so inspiring and um so i'll just add that do we have one more question our next question is also a text question with computers and machine automation and ai are humans becoming less creative oh dear lucretia leaning into the <laughs> microphone i would say humans are being unfortunately lazy. Um, I will say that it doesn't make them less creative. I will say that that makes them lean into their creativity using AI. Um, they're probably not using the best security practices since it's an open source AI. We can't just dump all our ideas into it because then your ideas are gone. They're no longer yours. So try not to be creative through AI that much, however, I do feel as though it expands your creativity because maybe what you couldn't put into words, now you can say it into AI and it can make you an array of things that you never thought you can do. And now you have the steps to actually achieve that. So I don't wanna say completely like tech is taking away from theater or any creativity. If anything, it helps. You just have to use it responsibly. Other thoughts on that? I was just gonna say, I also work in higher education, not at the level as you, but I do uh, teach first year college students on writing. Um, it was scary because for a lot of the times, I didn't know the diff, I did, I, it was hard to tell if it was their writing or was it AI generated. And um, that was a learning curve for me. But I also feel like I agree with you. I think people are so afraid of writing. 
Um, and you don't even have to be a professional writer. Um, I think people are so afraid of writing because, like, you know, growing up in school, you, writing was always this daunting thing, right? But I think creative writing needs to be taught more because I think creative writing is a great outlet for people to realize that writing is not as scary as you think it is. Um, but it is scary, especially in a higher education setting um, and also journalism. Um, I also write for uh, food media. So um, we literally had meetings about how we, as writers, you have to put as much personal anecdotes in the stories to make it uh, different from AI-generated articles. So it's scary. It's a lot of gigs you're cobbling together over there, PJ. It's because <laughs> you need to make money in New York. So you take as many jobs as you can. Um, we're going to wrap it up in a second, and we've had a really good opportunity to highlight the four performances that the four of you are participating in. But I know you're all four of you are also going to see other people's performances. And I would love to hear one thing you are hoping to see, or one thing maybe you saw yesterday that you'd like to recommend that isn't already represented on the stage. I want to go see Whizbang. Okay. The other circus that's here. I'm excited to see the jugglers and the different acts and the small tent. I'm excited for that. And of course, Holly show. Holly? I'm now psyched to see every single person at this table and their performances. <laughs> but what else? What else? Well, I think there's some interesting things in the, in the Mid-Al building going on. Juliette Renier's piece, I'm not sure if their tickets left, um, looks amazing. It's called, I'm not sure if there are tickets left? <laughs> Correct, no. Um, <laughs> what is it called? Anyway, it's in the middle building. It is. It's called Tesha, uh, another Thank you. at Ruth Bader, Bader Ginsburg. Oh, exactly, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. another, another heard, woman who, um, yes. who broke boundaries and barriers. Yeah. yeah. I really want to go see Peekabooth. Um, mm -hmm. Cassie Harner, she does, like, works with so many different performers, and so every time you go, it's going to be a different thing. She has, like, I think six people that work with her, and you can go for very short periods of time, so that's a great thing. Um, it's not ticketed, I don't think. It's not, there's not a charge. You just go in and hope you're there at the right moment to see it. Um, I think it, it is, hold on, just mouthing something. Um, there is, there's a small token ticket oh, price. Okay. Yes, you purchase a token to put into the performance oh, cool. vending machine. All right, cool. It's a performance vending machine. Essentially. Excellent. Yeah, and anyway, I'm really excited to see it. And there's a lovely installation in the Midaw building. I think, is it My Heart? What is it called? Her Mark. Her Mark. It's, yeah. it's really beautiful. They, they managed to turn this sort of sterile room into something that feels like it's your grandmother's or your great-grandmother's house and right. with audio and um, it's really lovely. And you can spend as much time as you want in there. I think that's a great... Um, and sometimes they have snacks. Do they? Um, I think it's great to stop in on your way to see other pieces like mine. All right. And PJ? Um, I forgot that. So glad you're up here, Josie. I forgot the name. Uh, it's written by Judah, who was also in the Kennedy's Theater. Well, uh, the Expiration Date. Expiration, yeah. I... It sounds like a great show about identity and aging. I love um, seeing theater where it talks about people of a certain age because you really don't see that often. Um, people think theater is a young people's game, but I, I just found that so interesting. I want to see it. 
Outstanding. We have to wrap it. Robin, you have one last thing I just want to tell them, talking about people of a certain age, don't ever refer to anybody over 70 as elderly. Okay. Okay. Noted. Noted. Um, Josie, was there something else you wanted to add? I just wanted to be here to help if you needed any like context for show names. Okay. I think, I think we're good. We're wrapping. Um, so I want to thank PJ O'Neill, Holly Holsinger, Lucretia Stenson, and Robin Van Leer for joining us on the City Club stage at US Bank Plaza at Playhouse Square today. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking them. Our forum today is part of our City Club in the Community series presented in partnership with Bank of America. We are grateful for their partnership. There are more free forums coming up in August at the City Club, not just on Fridays. On Thursday, next Thursday, August 10th, Anthony Crazybone Henderson of Bone Thugs and Harmony will join DJ Chris Stiles of WOVU 95.9 FM for a conversation about the 50th anniversary of hip hop. That's happening at Morningstar Baptist Church on Cleveland's east side. You can find out more at cityclub.org. Next Friday, we'll be right back here with Dr. David Margolius, Director of Public Health for the City of Cleveland, to discuss equity in public health. IdeaStream Public Media's Marlene Harris-Taylor will lead that conversation. You can find out more about these forums and others at cityclub.org. And before we get to the end, please join me in thanking our summer interns, Jordan Smith, Jane Jasko, and Zoe Ellenbogen, for their great work this summer. Thank you, interns. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, members and friends of the City Club. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.